Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Dev Chen Symposium. I'm Yves Chen, and I'm Alex Severo. This is the place where interesting topics are discussed, ideas are examined, and culture are fused. All opinions are welcome, and we embrace beliefs from all walks of life, big or small. So let's just go ahead and get right into it. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Adaption Symposium. This is episode fifteen. Today we are really thrilled because today we bring a special guest speaker、um, who is very accomplished, is a very interesting soul, and has a lot of really interesting stuff going on, on his side. So let's welcome Eddie, Eddie Turner.、Yep. Hi Eve, hi Alexander. How are you? <laughs> we're great. We're great. We're so thrilled to bring you here. It's like, yeah, a lot of really interesting things to talk about.、Mm-hmm. Well,、yep. I'm super excited to be here with you both. Thank you for having me. And, Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and just to give a little bit of background on Eddie, Eddie Turner is an executive and leadership coach. He is an international best-selling author, the host of the host Keep Me Bleeding podcast, and among other things, he's a very successful facilitator and a very successful speaker. We're very honored to have you here today. And the first question, just to get right down to it, it's a little bit of a take on the "Tell us about yourself" question. The one thing I want to ask you is, what sort of experiences did you go through in your life that helped you shape you, that helped shape you into the successful person that you have become, or were there any moments in your life that helped define you as a person? Well, thank you, Alexander. I appreciate that question. That is a very broad question. It is. <laughs> I feel like Eddie just himself has so many very interesting multifaceted hat, and literally, like one person has so many rules. For example, you are、um, successful, successful like leadership coach, and you're also my classmate.、Uh, fun fact: we went to like a program master together.、Um, but yeah, just like briefly, if you wanted to have an elevator pitch, what would you say? Well, when I meet people, I tell people that I work with leaders to accelerate performance and drive impact, and I do that in the ways that Alice mentioned. Executive and leadership coaching, facilitation,、mm-hmm. and professional speaking. I really wanted to know, like, when did you first started this, and what made you really want to go into this profession instead of other? And what were you thinking about, like, when you were twenty, for example, at our age?、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I could get your age back. <laughs> <laughs> when I was your age, at twenty years old, I had already completed a year of employment. Uh, at some of the world's best organizations, and I say some of because I was a consultant for one organization that sent me to these top organizations to service them. Unlike you two, who got your education while you're young and smart, I walked right out of high school. I did a ten-month program there in Chicago at、uh, Robert Morris College at the time, which. Then later became Robert Morris University, and I just learned a couple of months ago it's now Roosevelt University.、Oh, But、wow. I did a ten-month program that got me certified as a computer system specialist, and I was pretty proud of that because it, you know my dad taught me to never just learn how to work a computer or just to know how to operate something, no matter what that may be. Learn how to build it, and learn the ins and outs. And so I learned that in that program, and I began working. Ten months out of being in high school, so at twenty years old, I was working in corporate America, learning lessons that still hold me in good stead to this day. 
So what does it feel like when you throw yourself literally out of high school and after 10 months of college, like really into the working space? What are the challenges at that point in your life? At that point, the biggest challenge was getting people to take me serious because I was so young. When you walk into an organization and people are looking at you saying, I've got kids your age. And so they did not give me respect. I totally feel that. Like, that's literally my life right now. <laughs> that's your life right now? That's my that's life right now. Exactly. I was hoping that you all were going to tell me it's a little different today because mm. it was really tough. And it, 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 it would think some of the things that took place for me then just were out of bounds. They were clearly wrong and unfair. Mm. Right. And they go against any of the, the laws that are on the books. <laughs> but that set the table for a lot of the work that I'm doing today. So sometimes you know, people say, well, you're an executive coach. Why do you still go coach at the universities? And it's because I want to help young people like you get lessons that I had to get the hard way then. Mm-hmm. It would, I didn't go back and get my degree until I was 36 years old. Oh, and so the first, you know, the bulk of my career was spent without a degree. In IT, you needed certifications. You know, if you had a Microsoft certification, you were it. <laughs> in those days, I mean, it was hot. And right. we were laughing at the folks in college and say, oh, look at all the money we're making. And you've got student loans and you've got debt. And look at, look at us, right? Well, <laughs> things changed. And all of a sudden, certifications weren't as meaningful when people wanted to see degrees. And so the degrees clearly had the staying power. But yeah, so I spent, that's why I spent a lot of my time um, at universities like Rice University, Texas A&M, working with young people, coaching them, uh, primarily about leadership. Uh, At Rice, it's about leadership. At Texas A&M, I'm more of an executive coach. But whatever I can do to help young people bend the arc early on their career and give them the skills they need to lead from wherever they are and not have anyone look down on them because of their age. Mm. that is really something that's really meaningful to me. It's really important to me. and something I'm passionate about. It's a very wonderful thing. And this actually leads us into our next question is the concept of leadership. Now, as someone who's like an expert in leadership consulting, everything, do you believe that leadership is a concept that can be taught in classrooms or in like a regimented environment? Or is it something that has to be learned through experience, be it failure or success? I believe it's a little bit of both. You can absolutely teach it in the classroom, but where will you really learn it? I think you really learn it in life. Mm -hmm. I think you learn it outside of the classroom. What do I mean? Well, you can take the academic rigor as I did. I took the leadership program at Northwestern and that's where I first was exposed to leadership theory, the rigors of academia. But it wasn't until I tried to apply it that I really learned it. Mm-hmm. And so it's one thing to pass the exams and write papers and express all this theory. But then when you're faced with running an organization, when you're faced with running a team, you start to meet <laughs> the difference between theory and practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I learned that, who I better pull these books back out again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went on later on to do several programs, including going to Harvard University and studying at the Kennedy School under uh, Dr. Robert, Ronald Heifetz, and I uh, learned even more so in the program with him. So yes, leadership, you, it is taught in a classroom, in academia, in books, but we really learn those lessons when we start to apply that with real people. 
And so all of us have an opportunity to be leaders. I don't believe that it's the uh, only something that some people are born with or some people have this gift with. Every single one of us has the ability to be a leader. Wow. Definitely. And then there is, that's why we have the strength finder, you know, leadership does not really just compose of just five or 10 qualities. There are actually 24 personalities and qualities mm-hmm. and you can literally be composed of different personality and quality and be like a different leader in different situations. Sometimes a leader does not necessarily need to just lead according to the traditional sense. And it can be the wax between so many parties within the organization and then leading a subtle way. So yeah, it's also, you know, coming back to your question, it really depends on how you define leadership as a leadership. Mm-hmm. Well, there are many definitions of leadership, certainly, but then also mm-hmm. to your point, Eve, sometimes being a great leader means you know how to follow. That's very true. Exactly. Exactly. And also sometimes being a great leader is to know when to not lead and when to sit back and give the full confidence to the other experts to do their thing. Um, that require a lot more strength, confidence, and courageous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, that, and that's why I say too, sometimes it means that you know how to follow because a great leader at times knows that we don't measure ourselves on how many people we're leading. We measure ourselves on how many other leaders we produce. Mm-hmm. Very different. Can you share more about the story about like when you were coaching others, for example, like the kids in university, what are the interesting anecdote or a lesson learned or interesting observation that you didn't know, you know before you ever started? Well, one of the reasons I love coaching at the universities is I say that they keep me young. They give me fresh ideas. As long as you think. Yeah, well, well, there's a very difference because when I wake up in the morning, my body tells me something very different. (laughs) (laughs) But then I get to hanging around the young people and they they explain things. And they, you know, I used to be Mr. Technology. I had all the answers, Mm -hmm. but I quickly found I was getting old and folks who had to explain technology to me, what was hip and what was the latest and greatest. What What are the terms to use, right? So uh, that part has, has been really nice for me, just uh, the interchange. Mm. But, you know, for me, the beauty is to work with a young person. For example, this, this one young man, I met him when he was 18 years old. He had just come from China mm. and he had been in America for about two weeks. And Hurricane Harvey had broken out here in Houston, Texas. And so here this young man is, he's never been to America. In fact, he had never even left left China. He's thousands of miles away from his parents. He's in a place he doesn't know really well. And he's dealing with this change, this massive undertaking. Not only that, you know, how does he now become who he needs to be at Rice University? Well, I had a chance to work with him that semester and we worked on how he could be a leader. Mm-hmm. And in a very short, shortened version of the story, what I will tell you is he went on to lead a team of researchers at the MBA and PhD level, even though he was a freshman, even though he was 18 years old. Wow. That's how strong of a leader he became. I, I would see him um, again. I think it was, was it last semester or? I saw him recently, and now he is working as an intern inside of a major, major tech organization. Oh, wow. And I'm just so 
proud of him because I saw him then. I only get to spend a semester with these young people. And I see him now a couple of years later, three years later, and to see where he's going and then where he's obviously headed. So that's just one example of what unfolds in these sessions, taking people and helping them to lead from where they are as early as 18 years of age. And others, they're, they're older. You know, there's some PhD students and some MBA students that I work with as well that are closer to my age. <laughs> <laughs> but helping people no matter where they are, you're not too young to learn. You're not too young to lead. And in his case, that was a critical point because, because I had been working with him on that concept. When mm -hmm. he was then thrust into this situation, he felt ready to meet it on. And he said to me, he said, I would not have felt ready had you and I not been working together. Because he would have felt he needed to defer to those kids who are older. And they, they, they've got the degrees and then they've, they've got, they're in the higher advanced programs than he is. But he understood he did not have to make himself subservient. He mm. didn't have to yield. He mm. could take control and, in fact, won the competition. Wow. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And that actually reminds me in terms of just looking at leadership throughout time and being a leader nowadays compared to being a leader, maybe during like world war two and everything. It's like what you were saying. You have to learn how to serve before you can know how to lead. That actually goes back to Sun Tzu. And one question I wanted to ask you is something that's on a very broad spectrum. So it's another one of those like very broad questions, but in your opinion, do you believe that the fundamentals of leadership or have the fundamentals of leadership, changed through history. So like the requirements of being a great leader. So it's like the comparison between being a great leader in the classical era, like a Julius Caesar kind of figure or Alexander the Great versus a leader like uh, Bernard Montgomery from World War II, or maybe like a great a president of the United States, something to that effect. Absolutely. Leaders have changed, leadership styles have changed, and what people demand of leaders have changed throughout all those periods that you've mentioned. And in short, I'd say we've moved from, a, from an era of command and control. Mm -hmm. You've got to dominate. You've got to be hard. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to be tough. You can't show any emotion mm -hmm. is what we were taught. This is a good leader. That's a strong leader. And in almost all cases, that was a male figure we were pointing to. Well, the leader of today is very different. Here in the United States, uh, we expect, uh, depending on the results here, that we will have the first female vice president ever in the, in the country's founding. Mm -hmm. So the face of leadership literally has changed. Not only will we have a woman, we'll have a woman of color, of both African-American descent, Asian descent, Indian, American, you know, so it's a beautiful thing. So it's no longer just the face of a, of a male figure that represents leadership. You can be a woman, you can be a beautiful woman, and you can have your personality. You don't have to be, you know, just bites one's head off to be considered an effective leader. Exactly. Coming back to an earlier point that, you know, like leadership can literally take on so many forms and shape. And one of the biggest traits is empathy. Um, that's something like we also strongly discussed before, like how you 
utilize your strengths to do relationship building in a team and how you be the wax and how you like really function um, and bring the people together because leadership at the end of the world is like human being interactions. So a lot of the um, cultural series, like psychology, sociology, all those like little details play into leadership. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you talk about empathy, you talk about something that uh, one politician said at one point was a bad word, you know, like who needs empathy? Well, we now understand that all great leaders of the 21st century will have empathy. It's said that that's one of the reasons that uh, soon to be perhaps president-elect Joe Biden became president-elect because he has empathy. People Mm -hmm. are hurting and they want a leader who can feel their pain. And when I am working with leaders, the foundation of all of my coaching engagements is emotional intelligence. And empathy is a core component of emotional intelligence. And so to be an effective 21st century leader, I believe you have to be an emotionally intelligent leader. And leading with empathy is certainly something, especially as we're dealing with five generations in the workforce for the first time ever, Mm -hmm. uh, the younger generation is demanding it. And the older generation is welcoming it. It's refreshing. Definitely. Speaking of generational change, like, do you think it's harder to be a leader nowadays, you know, with so many noises in the year, mm-hmm. politically, religiously, or like societally in general? What's your take on that? Well, is it harder to be a leader today? Well, I think it just depends on perspective. If a person has refused to grow with time and want to live in the past, well, here's the way we used to do it. In my day, when I was coming up, well, then yes, it will be harder because more demands are placed on us. We have to have a greater range. So the great leaders today who have expanded their range of leadership tools, who understand you can't lead from just one way. We've talked about three so far, even in this conversation, mm-hmm. right? There are others. What leadership tools do you have in your arsenal that you can apply? Do you have range? Do you have flexibility as a leader? And so, you know, and, and, and the time we're living in with, in terms of COVID has introduced even another layer of demand. You need new leadership skills today in 2020 than you needed at the beginning of 2020, at the end of 2020, than you needed at the beginning of 2020. Now we're having to learn how to lead remote and diverse teams, Zoom meeting leadership, that's a new thing right now. (laughs) Zoom meeting leadership, absolutely. Exactly. You know, I said to someone the other day, I've said this to several clients, you know, it was that we, in the physical office, we competed for the corner office. We wanted the biggest office with the biggest space because that indicated our importance. Mm -hmm. Get on these Zoom calls, we all have the same square box. (laughs) We all have the same level of importance. It's leveled the playing field. So now how do you lead on the screen becomes very important. Mm -hmm. So tell me more about it. I'm actually really interested in that. Like what are, for example, continue with your clients specifically, what are the really important traits that you observe or that you witness and like, like, wow, that's a really interesting internet, you know, virtual leadership quality. Well, a lot of my client interactions happen one-on-one. In terms of coaching, or if I'm delivering a learning program where I have, you know, 50 or 60 folks in the room, you know, typically it's me that's speaking. Mm-hmm. 
and everyone's observing and they were conducting exercises. But always one way that you see leadership unfold is uh, the words of James Humes come to mind. Anytime you speak, you are auditioning for leadership. Hmm. So the person that's speaking the most is in one way showing themselves to be a leader. Now, that doesn't mean that the quiet introvert is not leading. They sometimes have better thoughts than the person who's the loudest. They're, they process differently. So I see leadership on these virtual calls unfolding in different ways. Sometimes just through the person who's talking the loudest and the most. Sometimes just through the person that's putting the most in the chat. But sometimes I'm watching that person that's very pensive. Mm. And I can call on that person and they can cut right through everything. And go straight to the point. And nail it. Right. So it shows up in different ways. It also shows up in how we show up on the screen. You know, we talk about positioning. How do you position yourself on the screen? We talk about backgrounds. We talk about presence. We talk about how you use your voice. We talk about your amplification equipment. We talk about lighting. Mm -hmm. All of that. Your your visual leadership, if you will. Mm -hmm. That says more about you sometimes than anything you say when you open your mouth because it's speaking for you long before you are yeah you know that actually reminds me of the uh, english civil war and the time of oliver cromwell and the time of charles the first and charles the first always had a reputation of being a very weak leader in terms of what he was doing and the policies that he made but with oliver cromwell and this is according to the account of uh, president eisenhower he said that Cromwell was a very duller fellow, like exactly what you said, the very pensive fellow, never really said much, very grave, but he was always a really great leader because when it came down to acting and making movements, he was very decisive. It's actually part of the reason why the Commonwealth of England, Ireland, and Scotland was created was because not by the fact that he was doing a lot of things for people to see, it was just when he actually acted, people paid attention to it and people saw the immediate results and they agreed with the results. And actions speak louder than words. Exactly, exactly that. And that actually brings up a question that really just developed as we were talking is what makes a leader known, so to say? Because we always hear about great leaders or these so-called great leaders that are in charge of like big tech companies like Jeff Bezos or maybe Jack Ma, who's the founder of Alibaba. And what do you think would separate these leaders from the leaders who are unknown? The number of zeros after the paycheck. <laughs> Go right into the point. Exactly. <laughs> as simple as that. And a lot yeah. of times it's like also, um, you know, it's more how you well known in front of the paper and press and also social media. It just really depends on how, you know, the capitals manipulating you behind everything games, how like really different forces and properties negotiate with each other. And then that essentially determine your presence and um, of, of course of your like, everything in front of a social media or press. Yeah. So, I mean, on one hand, it literally is which person has the most money. That's the person that the repairs is reporting on the most in many cases. That's the person that's showing up on the Forbes list. That's the person that is uh, going to have the most notoriety. Now, in the case of a Jeff Bezos or a, uh, or a, um, Jack Ma. I'm drawing, I'm drawing a, a blank all of a sudden. Uh, I was thinking <laughs> Bill Gates. You know, these were people that were preferred to, you know, to be a little bit more behind the scenes. They prefer quietness. Whereas you can contrast that to maybe a Mark Cuban. 
he's a billionaire also, but he's a little bit more out there in, 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 the, in the public eye. So those are examples of folks that are known well, to your question, uh, based off finances. But there are other leaders who are known because of their bad behavior, right? They're leaders, but would we say that we want our children to emulate these folks? Mm. Right? So some folks are known as leaders because they have a title, but they're not known for being a good leader. They're not known for leading in a way that we'd say is exemplary. Mm-hmm. Then you have others who are leaders who are well-known and people look up to them and they haven't done anything specifically to be well-known, but they're known because of their behavior. They're known because of what they do. The other part I was going to say when it comes to leadership is they're well-known uh, well-known leaders are known because of their brand. What do people think of when they think of you is what I always ask my clients. Can you build a brand? What comes to mind when people say something about you? What do people know you for? You know, it's been said in the HR circles, when decisions are being made about you and your career, most of the decisions happen when you're not in the room. So when you're not in a room, what are people saying about you? Whether you're the top person in the organization or you're the emerging leader that's coming up. So Brandy, what are you doing to build your brand, build your reputation? Interesting. Now, that actually reminds me, and this is, I think you could say it's like a classic example of poor leadership or maybe a myriad of different factors that spell doom for this company. It's the company, uh, I think it's called Theranos, where it was the company where they tried to do this revolutionary form of blood testing where they could only prick a little bit of blood from the finger and tested it. Uh, the lady who was in charge of the company, I forget her name, but she gave a TED talk. She was this billionaire figure, but behind the scenes though, she was the kind of person who was intimidating people, like threatening people, anybody who tried to discredit her, anyone who tried to say that the testing facilities were false, she ended up firing them right then and there. And this was a person who developed a lot of acumen, developed a lot of image, and essentially used that image to her advantage. But then when people started to find out the truth, everything sort of faded away a little bit. So she's an example of, of an unethical leader. Yeah. She's an example of someone who was not an emotionally intelligent leader that I referenced earlier. Mm-hmm. She not only berated people, demeaned people, mistreated people, but she flat out lied. She was unethical and she penalized and retaliated against anyone who wanted to be ethical, who wanted to tell the truth. And so part of her success was built on a lie. So she's the exact uh, example. She's a great example of that bad leader that I'm talking about. But the people that work for her, they were examples of leaders without power, leading without authority Mm -hmm. because they were trying to do the right thing at all cost. And eventually, you know, if it's a lie, it will die. And so that company, that great company uh, ended up with a tremendous demise. Yeah, I think the following was that, like going back to the branding situation, there's this question that I always want to ask. So like a lot of times that we do really need to shape our story and branding according to different group or different interest parties, 
but like we also need to make a coherent story. So like Eddie, what do you think? How do you balance those two? How do you make your story as coherent and as still you? And how can you adjust your story according to different situation and different scenarios? I think we all have to come to grips with what our story is. We have to understand our narrative. Mm-hmm. We're not just one thing. That's why when Alexander asked me the question, the opening question, I said, well, that's very broad. Uh-huh. You know, these defining moments, I can tell you about the defining moment on the playground in fifth grade, in fifth grade and what that did. That mm-hmm. set up one aspect of Eddie Turner. I can tell you about a defining moment in high school. I can tell you about college. I can tell you about the, like the story I said, why I didn't go to a college and then later on going to a college mm-hmm. and the stories that came out of that. So we all have a narrative and can we understand it? And then can we become a masterful storyteller of our narrative and then share it when needed? When I'm on a coaching conversation or if I'm in a classroom uh, of students, I, I speak at universities often, you know, I will tell the relevant story from my point of view that fits that, that audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I'm not going to tell the story about me necessarily being with executives when I'm talking to uh, a group of high schoolers or a group of freshmen at a college. Right. It's, a, it's not relevant, right? You know, but I'll exactly. share like the story that I talked with you all. I didn't even go to the details, but I'll actually tell them the details of the story when I was 18 in a corporation. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll tell them that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so all of us have, have a, uh, a library. We all are a walking book. Do we know the chapters and can we easily reference the chapters and give people the highlights mm-hmm. and make that connection to where they see the value mm-hmm. and where we help them find their own value so they can start to document their own walking book? Very well said. I just feel like it's also a lot of the marketing going into it. Like we have so many facade of our life then how you really tell the story according to the specific audience and really know whether they actually receive and digest your communication that story is so important because at that point is a determining factor if they actually get it or not um, and it's our job to communicate in the right way with the right tone or pace or the structure of the whole story according to different situation audience no, that's true, Eve. And so to do that, well, you know, I interviewed the storyteller on my show, Patricia Fripp. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so what Patricia Fripp would say on that is, right, there's one thing to have the story, but we have to not just tell the story. That can actually bore people. So when I say storytelling, I, I literally mean reenacting the story. Mm-hmm. I literally mean giving action to the characters in the story. And he then, knows. of course, there has to be a a moral to the story there has to be a happy ending Mm -hmm. we all love happy endings where the hero shines or the heroine shines you had this challenge you had this adversity here's what happened here was the conflict and in the end here is what and we all have those stories Mm -hmm. we all have them so tapping into our own greatness packaging it in such a way that we can share it when necessary and share it in a way that will turn people's ears into eyes. Definitely. Definitely. Now, on the subject of that, how does one develop the habits to find that story? Is there anything a person can do? Maybe it's like self-reflection or maybe it's something they do on their day-to-day lives 
that'll help them become more aware of these good stories or more aware of themselves to help them become a great leader? That's a great question, Alexander. Many times what I find is when working with clients, we're all so busy. Technology has us all just running. We don't take time just to be silent and just to be with ourselves. If we find ourselves with a silent moment, we've got the mobile phone in our hand, we've got a tablet in our hand, and we do things to occupy ourselves. We're afraid to be alone with ourselves. So I encourage my clients, can you be alone with yourself? And in that moment of silent reflection, you would be amazed sometimes if you just spent three minutes, took took your mobile phone and just set the timer and said, I'm just going to spend three minutes just thinking about what I did today. Thinking about the stories that unfolded. For some of my clients, they turn that into an, a journaling exercise. Mm. So they start with a quiet reflection and then they start to just write it down. And within weeks, they are amazed at just how amazing their life is. They don't even realize it. But then they, they look at what they've written and like, wow, I'm killing it out here. <laughs> I totally feel you. I totally feel you. Because sometimes for me, like thinking about what I did is actually more important than I was actually doing it. Yeah. Um, and then like the takeaway and then the reflection or what's the improved thing that you need to do next time. Like those are really, really strong takeaway instead of that specific action or situation. And I just feel like it's also a really great way for you to know yourself more. I personally think is the fundamental thing for you to become a great leader. You really need to know your craft, know where you're coming from, what's your story, why you're relevant, and why you're related to the people that you're leading. Indeed. Yeah, very, very true. Okay, so the last question I want to ask is, it's got to do with the environment for leadership. Because you have leadership in the business world, leadership in politics, leadership in the military. What would you say would be the key differences in leadership within each of these businesses or are there differences in each of these businesses or is the leadership mentality pretty much the same all around in terms of how you portray yourself? It's very different. It's very different. For example, in the military, it is absolutely command and control. I may have a better idea than the person in charge, but in the military leadership is defined as Excellence, rather, I should probably say, is, de- is, de- is defined as how well you adhere to the mission. You adhere to the commands that are given. There is no latitude for you to step outside of what was dictated to do it, yourself, do it your way. You may know how to work the weapon better than the commander. You may understand the battle plans better than the person that, that, that issued them. That person may never have even fought in battle who's, who's given the order to go to war. But in the military, I must obey orders. Mm-hmm. It's not like that in a corporation. In fact, if I dare say that if a, if a manager said, do it this way, and, and if an employee questions it and he barfs at him, <laughs> you know, that's not allowed in a corporation, right? right. You won't last very long, especially in the 21st century corporations where there are more, there's less tolerance for that. And, and, and when I was coming up, they could, they could call your mama <laughs> and you had to deal with it. <laughs> You know, they could talk about you in any kind of way and say all kind of words to you. That's not tolerated as much today. So it's very, very different if you're talking about military or military command versus uh, leading in a corporation. Still yet, it's going to be different in academia. You know, for example, you know, you have a, a professor who's got tenure. 
<laughs> I'm told that they could do and say whatever they want. <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm dealing with some situations. And this one I'm picking up now, and this person's giving folks fits, but they've got tenure. They're allowed to get away with some of that. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's very different in different circles. But here's what is not different: what people will look at and define as good leadership. You know, I've talked to a person who's from the military the other day, and one of the questions I asked is, because we were talking about the need for him to work on a particular quality, and I just asked very simply, tell me about the greatest manager you've ever had or leader you've worked under. And he took me back to 20 years earlier, and it wasn't any of the last corporations he worked for. It was back to his military days, and he told me about that specific person. And he told me about how many degrees this person had, all the battles he'd fought in, all the great things he'd done. He said, but this person would talk to everybody very humbly. If, you, if, if, he, if he asked you to do something, he got next to you and helped do it. Mm-hmm. And so he starts describing this person. And so he, that's a good example of what I'm talking about. Yeah, it may be right, and this is what ex- is accepted here, but everybody knows it's wrong. They may not be able to say it, but everybody recognizes it and they're talking about it behind your back. And so in every context, our human psyche tells us, something innate within all of us tells us what's just, what's right, what's fair. And while we may be in a case where because we have to feed our families or because we're enlisted or because we've got all these other requirements around us, we deal with it, we accept it, we never really truly accept it. So what is good leadership, I believe in many cases, is universally accepted. That's a very wonderful thing. And on that note, we're going to wrap up this interview right now. Now, Eddie, this is very much the point where if you have any projects, feel free to say right now that people can check out. And do you have anything going on that you want to say? Absolutely. I there are just too many things going on with Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> we will have like another 10 minutes for him to describe everything. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. People, I welcome people to tune in to the Keep Leading podcast. Visit me at askeddieturner.com. Ask, E-D-D-I-E-T-U-R-N-E-R.com. There you can connect with me on social media. I love to have folks follow me, connect with me. If they tell me that they heard about me on your show, specifically have to tell me that, I'll send them a copy of the digital portion of my book. I'll send them a complimentary chapter of the digital portion of my book, 140 Simple Messages for Emerging Leaders. Wonderful. It's always great to talk with somebody who has great mind because great conversation is always our mental food, especially during this really noisy, chaotic time that we really, really needed it. Thank you so much, Eddie, with leadership and um, a lot of inspirational thoughts. It's really powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Alexander, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Everyone have a good day. Have a wonderful day.